Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Yes, this is our new Advent sermon series, Pure Imagination, and as you might have noticed in that little sermon bumper, there's a little bit of Willy Wonka in it. There is that song, Pure Imagination, from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and we are going to explore, with the help of Willy Wonka, kind of what we're talking about throughout Advent by taking a look today at these other dastardly characters who show up at the chocolate factory. There is Veruca Salt. Oh, man, she was a handful. Then there is Violet Beauregard, okay? And then there is Augustus Gloop, who, by the way, uh, did not speak English. Remember, he was the German person, but in real life could not speak English, which is why he was so good at not speaking English in the, uh, in the movie. There is Mike TV. Now, if you remember, uh, Veruca Salt was super, super, super greedy. There there are some folks who read all kinds of depth into all kinds of things, including the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and there are some folks who will tell you, yes, these four children represented different uh, sins. So you have Veruca Salt, which represented greed. I'm not sure if this is true, but I think it's interesting, so I'm telling you about it. Uh, Violet Beauregard, pride, Augustus Gloop uh, was just eating all of the time. So what, what do you call that when you eat so much all the time? What? What? Gluttony and then sloth because Mike TV, all he wanted to do was sit around and, and just watch TV. And then there was precious Charlie, right? Now, you, you kind of, if you've ever seen this movie, either iteration of it, actually, you kind of know what's going on here. The guy up in the top left-hand corner, that's Willy Wonka. And Willy Wonka knows that his time is limited. And so, because he so desperately values the chocolate factory, he so desperately values all that he has put together, he is looking for his successor. And so he sends out all of these golden tickets, and these people who find these golden tickets come to the chocolate factory, and he kind of puts them through the ringer to see who is going to measure up. And as it turns out, the four on the right do not measure up. Charlie measures up. And so by the end of the movie, well, Willy Wonka has moved Charlie and his entire family into the chocolate factory, which seems odd to me, but he did. He moves them all into the factory, and you get this distinct impression that the next Willy Wonka, Charlie, will be the next Willy Wonka. Because it matters. It matters. The ongoingness of this whole thing, it matters. And Willy Wonka seems to understand that whoever you have in charge, whoever you have in charge, dictates to a large degree whether or not your endeavor will be successful. The leadership is important, turns out. It's important. Who, the, the person who leads your organization has a lot to do with whether or not that their organization is going to be successful. And this is not a new thing. In fact, you can make the case that we have known this for a long time, that our particular organization or movement known as community of faith, Christianity, we've known for a long time that leadership is super important, super important. We've also known that God was doing something in and through us, something very specific. Now, I don't know, unless you have been through one of Jason's disciple classes where he does such a good job of weaving everything together to give you the sense of a narrative arc. You probably don't have some scriptures ringing in your ear all the time that we believers should have ringing in our ears all the time. Here's one of those scriptures. All the way back in Genesis 12, God says to Abram, not yet Abraham, but Abram, I am going to, through you and through your descendants, I am going to reach all the people. This this is our calling still to this day. To this day, this is our calling, that God would, in and through us, reach all the people. So again, and if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me say this before, but please don't tune me out. Our job, let's say, our job, our calling as Christians is not to preserve the holy few. It is to be the kinds of people through whom God can reach all the people. All the people. And by all, I I need you to know that I mean all of them. All of them. But this endeavor has been dramatically affected 
by the quality of the person in leadership. Throughout our history, the person in charge, let's say, has had a lot to say about whether or not the mission was effective or not. There was a time when the people of Israel, way back when, Old Testament, they did not have a king. And frankly, God kind of liked it that way. (laughs) There were other sorts of people who were leading, but these judges through whom God was leading still sort of made room for God to be the leader. The judges were just doing what judges do and listening and then interpreting for the people, but there was no king until the people said, we must have a king. Everybody else has a king. We like the way these other nations operate with kings, and so we insist on having a king, God said, no, you really don't want a king. You don't know what you're asking for. But the people stomped their feet, and they said, we want a king. And God said to Samuel, give him a king. They don't know what they're in for, but give him a king. Their first king, a guy by the name of Saul, not a great king. The next king, a guy by the name of David, is, is understood to be a man after God's own heart and a man who enjoyed the spirit of God. Now, he was far from perfect. We know these stories too, right? David, King David, was far from perfect. But we still understand him to have done some really, really powerfully good things too. There was a moment, and you can see this in 2 Samuel, there was a moment when David said, you know what, God, I love you so much. I want to honor you with something that will last, and so I'm going to build you a house. 2 Samuel 7. Interestingly, God said, I'm God, I don't really need a house. (laughs) But, says God, I appreciate the sentiment, and I honor that you are honoring me, said God to David. And so, God said to David, I'm going to make you a promise. There will always be a Davidic king on the throne, the kingdom of Judah. Somebody from your line will always be on the throne. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne, David, shall be established forever. Now again, you and I may not appreciate these verses the way that they were appreciated and held, clutched for so many generations, hundreds, perhaps thousands of years, but the ancient believer, they would cling to these promises. And when things would go poorly for the nation, the people would pray, but God, you promised, but God, you promised. And they would find just enough hope, a handhold of hope that they would sort of keep on, or at least some of them would kind of keep on until there was another challenge, maybe a bad king, there would be a few people who would say, oh, man, things are going poorly. But God, you promised, you promised that we would be those people through whom all people would be blessed. And you promised that there would always be a Davidic king on the throne. God, you promised. You promised. Problem was, some of those Davidic kings were, I think the ancient Hebrew word was Awful. <laughs> Ridiculously awful, unfaithful, wrong-headed, terrible, terrible people. So bad that they navigated Israel into harm's way. Into harm's way. So bad that they would actually navigate Israel into oncoming traffic known as the nation of Assyria. And Assyria would wipe out Jerusalem, breach the walls around the city, tear down everything, burn everything, destroy everything. And it looked like the promise was about to go up in smoke. Our passage today is found in Isaiah, the first few verses in Isaiah 11, but in the back half, the back part, the last part of Isaiah 10, you have this frighteningly specific report of how God goes about, how God goes about using the enemies of Judah to wipe out Judah. God uses a very specific path And you can see it. You can see it. 
There's some historicity to the last part of Isaiah chapter 10. You can kind of see the path that the warring parties took to get into Jerusalem, to breach the wall, to tear everything down, to wipe out this kingdom and seemingly end the promise. And all of it, according to the prophet, was happening because God saw fit to do it. There are some hopeful passages in the first part of Isaiah, this first chunk of Isaiah that a lot of us call first Isaiah. There are some very hopeful passages, but to be honest, there are more passages that are angry. It's God really angry, and angry at believing people who are not doing what they're supposed to do, because remember, we're the people with the calling. Through you, all people will be blessed, and not only were they not blessing all the people, they were not looking out for the widow and the orphan, not only were they not doing those things, then they were going to church. While not doing those things, they were going to church and they were worshiping in ways that left God with this distinct impression that they were just in their worship, just trying to control God. Just trying to seek some sort of cover for the ugly lives that they were leading. Well, I can lead this ugly life and leave out the widow and the orphan, but then if I go to church and I say the words the right way and if I wave just at the right time, then perhaps I'll still be on God's good side. And so God spends some time in First Isaiah saying, I hate the way you worship. You worship not to be shaped by me. You worship in the hopes of shaping me, says God. You want me to rubber stamp all of your ugly movements. You are a reflection of your bad leadership. I blame you people, but I blame the king as well. This arrangement's not working. So I'm going to start over. It's frightening. Look, last couple of verses of Isaiah 10. The sovereign Lord, we have a stump, right? We have a stump in Isaiah 11. Well, why do we have a stump? Well, here's why. Look, the sovereign Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The tallest trees will be cut down and the lofty will be brought low. He will hack down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon, its majestic trees, will fall. Yeah, there's a stump, and God's holding the axe. Aren't you glad the church doesn't end right there today? <laughs> but it does us no good as the people of God. We, we talked about this today in our, our Sunday school class. It does us no good as the people of God to ignore darkness. It does us no good to ignore the darkness that happens or manifests around us. It does us no good to ignore the darkness that manifests within us. It does us no good at all to try to just paint smiley faces, to put Band-Aids on cancer. It does us no good. Advent, Advent is a season during which we acknowledge the darkness. Hear me, hear me. We acknowledge the darkness during Advent. Some of you have asked over the years, now fewer and fewer because you're starting to get into it, you're starting to get the rhythm of it. Some of you have asked over the years, why don't we sing more really happy-go-lucky Christmas carols? Now, I added something to your words there, but why don't we sing the happy Christmas carols during Christmas season? Walmart is... The malls are just full of silver bells and all these, and not just those secular songs, but the sacred ones too. Why aren't we harking the herald angels singing? Why aren't we doing those sorts of things? Here, two things. We're gonna promise. We're going to. By the way, we are gonna have our Christmas Eve candlelight service at five, at five, and we are gonna have church on Christ Mass, Christ Mass, Church for Christ on Sunday. We are gonna do that. And on those days, on that Sunday, y'all, we are going to sing like nobody's watching. You know how you sing when nobody's watching? You just sing, right? We're going to sing that day like nobody's watching because we're going to celebrate and we're going to take a couple of Sundays to celebrate with all of those carols, the brightness that has come into the world, the light that has come into the world. Between now and then, we have to acknowledge 
the darkness. Because it's dark out there in places. But can we qualify the darkness a bit? Here's the thing. It's dark, but there are different kinds of darkness. There's the darkness after the sun has gone down and you are plunging into the night. That is a particular kind of darkness. It's thick. It's black. The darkness that you and I are confronted with these days It's the darkness that still lurks, but lurks, hear me, at dawn. (laughs) Should have gotten more amens than one. Thank you, though. There are different kinds of darkness. Listen, if it's dark at 8 o'clock at night, and it is, it's kind of dark at 6 o'clock at night here, it's only going to get darker. But y'all, if it's dark at 6 o'clock in the morning, it's going to get brighter. And during Advent, we look at our clocks, we look at our watches, and we say, it's dark like 6 a.m., not like 6 p.m. And we move around, we move around, even in the dark places of the world, making use of the light that we have. And, and, And hear me, you've got some light with which to move around. So much of Advent, of the Advent imagery, so much of it has to do with dawn, early morning. We're at the earliest part of the church year. We're at the dawn of the church year. We're at the earliest part of this whole thing. It's morning. It's dawn. It's dawn. That's, there's still darkness. We'll acknowledge it's, it's still dark. You still have to flip on a light. You still have to turn a candle. But you guys, the light has come into the world. We're not acting as if Jesus hasn't come when we get to Advent every year. We are acting as if Jesus hasn't finished yet. A shoot. (laughs) Remember, there's a stump, right? There's a stump. And as only God can do, the stump isn't the last word. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Oh, man. Let's keep reading. The Spirit of the Lord, remember that same Spirit, that helped and shaped and moved David. Now, we think that this this particular passage is written at a very dark sort of time. Perhaps it was King Manasseh, terrible, terrible, terrible king, but the Davidic line, but a terrible, terrible king. Perhaps it was Manasseh who finally himself, with his poor leadership, drove the last nail in the coffin (laughs) and ended and ended this kingdom And perhaps it was Isaiah the prophet who had tried to be in Manasseh's ear. Perhaps it was Isaiah the prophet who finally retired to his study to say, all is lost, all is lost, all is lost. But God. But God. But God, you promised, and because you promised, we still hold out hope that there will be another king And the spirit of the Lord will rest on that king, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. He'll have another kind of compass, which is what we need, leaders with compasses, amen? But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. Not too long ago, I don't know if you know Aaron Bowler Jack, but you should. This is a happy, (laughs) hopeful person, and a great person to help organize our church Facebook page, which is one of the, the front faces that we have for a church. And not too long ago, Aaron put something on our church Facebook page that was absolutely stubbornly hopeful. Something like, God is king. 
it's dawn, something like that. And somebody that I don't know, that I don't think is a part of our fellowship from way out of town, sort of shot back, yeah, look around. Look around. I have um, a, a, I don't know if it's a predisposition, I don't know what to call it. Let me just say it like this. I can be cynical. I can get disappointed. I can be disenchanted with the systems and the structures, and, and I can speak cynicism. That's a language I, 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 I know that language pretty well. And as a cynic, I have an ear for others who seem to also speak this language. And I am hearing it. I am hearing a, a lot of cynicism and a lot of cynicism from voices in the faith community. I, I have been listening to a particular podcast and I've enjoyed it for a long time, but one of the major voices on this podcast is just so incredibly cynical that I finally have, have gotten to the end of it and I've said, I'm, I, I can't do this anymore. I always feel like I need to take a shower after I listen to this particular podcast. I'm just not gonna do it anymore. Here's the thing, anybody, can be cynical. Anybody can. It doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence. It doesn't take a whole lot of energy. Really, if you aspire to be cynical, I promise you, that's a goal you can reach. It takes something more to get beyond cynicism. It takes imagination, perhaps, to get beyond cynicism. It takes what one of my favorite authors would call a prophetic imagination. With a prophetic imagination, you can acknowledge the darkness. Folks, hear me. There's plenty of darkness to acknowledge. But all of the darkness answers to the light. So the culture that Manasseh and his terrible leadership had unearthed was awful, it was chaotic, it was violent. The, the people with all of the, 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 the biggest muscles always won. They always did, it's just the way it worked. but with the right king, with the right authority, who grants his people, or a queen who would grant her people the right kind, the freedom to imagine, everything could be different. And the next few verses describe how that might be different. Oh, 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 we need this sound. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest Laughing back and forth at what the other has to say Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day Never ever thinking there was danger in the water They were drinking, they just guzzled it down Never dreaming that a scheming sheriff and his posse Was a-watching them and gathering around Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest Jumping fences, dodging trees and trying to get away Contemplating nothing but escaping, finally making it Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day <laughs> Starting with verse 6 the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth 
will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And you guys, great news. This reimagined kingdom is not just about animals. They serve as incredible, rich metaphors to communicate the awesomeness of this new kind of kingdom that can be unearthed with the right kind of king, the right kind of leadership, the right kind of followership. Yeah, and yet we still acknowledge the darkness and acknowledge that if we are headed toward that day when the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, we, aren't, we don't seem to be in that day just yet. The earth does not seem to be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Yeah, but you know something. The earth... The streets, I guess, don't yet run full of the knowledge of the Lord, but you, you walk those streets. We don't yet have, you could say, I mean, I'm, video notwithstanding, pretty cool video. <laughs> Maybe in your life, you don't very often see predator and prey laying down together. I read a really funny quote by Woody Allen, actually, this week, who said about this particular verse, the lion and the lamb, the wolf and the lamb may lay, lay down together, but that lamb will never have a good night's sleep the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, but it's a start. Yeah, the earth may not yet course with the knowledge of the Lord, but maybe that's where you and I come in. Maybe, maybe, what's supposed to be and what will be in all the world someday can be practiced and rehearsed here amongst the people who do have just enough of the light to navigate. Maybe the folks around you and the folks around them and the folks around them just need to see it. They just need to see you loving your enemy, which it may be. Does everybody know that Jesus calls us to love our enemies and our opposites? Does everybody know that? Maybe that's not just a resume builder. Maybe that's a way to change the world. What if you loved your enemies? You guys, think about this for a second. What if you loved your enemies? What would change? The answer is a lot. If you loved your enemies, what would change? Quite a bit quite a bit would change. If you loved your enemies and your opposites, and maybe, maybe we should use the term opposite because maybe for you, that's a more accessible term. Maybe sitting where you are, you're so nice, and, and you are, you are so nice. Maybe you go, well, I don't have a list of enemies anywhere, but you have opposites. What if you loved, 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 loved your opposites? If we all learn to love our opposites, It'd be a little bit like splashing around more and more and more of this knowledge of the Lord. In other words, it's us living at dawn, moving everything toward the sun at its highest. It's us moving everything toward that moment when the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And it's not just us. God will work beyond us, but it is at least us. <clears throat> People who love enemies and opposites. We buried one of those people this week. I don't know if you know this, but Marianne Bell moonlighted. She wasn't just a great grandmother just around here and not a great leader here. She moonlighted as the cookie lady. For a decade or so, I would go, and sometimes Lee would go, and there'd be other people who would go over to Putnam City Academy. An alternative school, an alternative school, um, like other alternative schools constructed for those kids who were not making it 
at the regular mainstream school for a variety of reasons. It could be academic reasons, it could be lifestyle reasons, but they were not, in many cases, allowed to go to the big schools, so they were shuffled off to the uh, academy, <clears throat> the alternative school. And we were blessed for a long time to have this relationship with, with them. And, and at least once a week, we would go over with food. And most of the time, it would be an armful of pizza purchased at Little Caesars, and it would be homemade cookies made by Mary Ann Bell, the cookie lady. You guys, for years, for years, I took bags of cookies over to PC Academy. Okay, for years I took most of the cookies that Marian brought me over to PC Academy. <laughs> and eventually they got the point. Now these kids were in no way enemies to Marianne Bell. I'm pretty sure that she's one of those people <laughs> who did not have a list of enemies, but they are in so many ways her opposite. And over a period of time, they started to recognize the language of the sugar cookie, that it meant more than just the cookie itself, over a period of time. And those relationships hold to this day. I, I can point you to places and households where there's a little bit of light now that is there now because the cookie lady was so faithful while in the dawn of creation that was still at some, time, at some points pretty dark. <clears throat> so what do you do? What do you do? At her funeral, <clears throat> excuse me, at her funeral, I was, it, she was firmly in charge of her funeral, you should know. She had very specific details and we followed them to the letter. In fact, my role at the funeral was to read the entirety of the 12th chapter of Romans. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you now, but I, I do want to read this to you now, a little bit of backstory. Remember that this is a letter written to a church, to a church living by the light of the dawn of the resurrection of Jesus. But in a very dark place, Rome was this huge city and this very young church and smallest church, it perhaps was as small as 20 or so, was trying to figure out what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to do church in such a dark time in a dark place? What does it look like? And so Paul gives them this gift, the book of Romans, to help them to know how to move around and interact with one another, but then how to interact with those outside. And here is what Paul says to these people. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of saints, extend hospitality to strangers, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, do not be claim, do not claim to be wiser than you are. Watch this, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. No, if your enemies or your opposites are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I was struck by the ways in which, with some of her last notes, Marianne Bell would acknowledge the darkness of her disease. She would acknowledge she was losing not just memories, but words. She would acknowledge all of that and at the exact same time say, but I trust you. I love you and I trust you. 
And my suspicion is her hands had made sugar cookies so long (laughs) and so many times that even when she perhaps was not able to sort through a recipe, her body knew what to do. We are to live all the time. We say it more often during this Advent season. We are to live as people who both acknowledge the darkness, but acknowledge it as the darkness that you have at dawn. And we are to be the people who move around according to that light, the light of the resurrection, because we know that God is working in and through us and also beyond us to move all things toward that bright sun that you have at noon. And you and I, though confronted by darkness, can be Advent sorts of people, like Marianne Bell, by loving our enemies and our opposites today. Today. Mark, where are you? Would you come back and... We sang a song I want us to sing. I, I, you know, we, we went around today in our Sunday school class and, and asked, what's your, favorite, um, what's your favorite Christmas song? And, and mine is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, this song has, tra- this song is, the lyrics, we believe, are over a thousand years old. The tune uh, is not quite that old, but these words have been around for a long time. So for a long time, we have understood Advent to be a time of dawn, dawn. It's in your hymnal if you would like to see it. In, uh, in fact, grab your hymnals and let's turn to, to hymn number 168. I have the second verse on the screen, but I don't have the first one. I want us to sing the first and the second. But before we get to that second verse, I, I want to show you the words. Oh, come thou, dayspring, come and cheer. And by the way, dayspring is just a pretty fancy word to say dawn, early light. Come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Hear me. When we move to prayer, I wanted to open the altars for all those who need to acknowledge darkness and are in desperate search, in the desperate search for the light. Christians, the faith that is practiced and it is taught and preached here does not deny darkness. In fact, we acknowledge the darkness and understand ourselves to be called to it, armed as we are with the light. So I want to invite you when we get to that moment in the service to find a place to pray and allow yourself the angst of acknowledging the darkness, but seek the light. Let's sing that first verse, and we'll sing the second verse, and then during that second verse, if our people could come and help us set this table, let's sing the first verse. Oh, come, oh, come,
my friends, is an Advent song. You can hear in the minor chords (laughs) that there is some anguish in it, even some anxiety in it, and yet it is shot through with hope, especially when you hit those choruses and you hear the charge, the challenge, rejoice, rejoice. That doesn't mean that we deny the darkness. Perhaps it means that we acknowledge the darkness, but know that it's morning darkness. It's morning darkness. And so we gather around this table, not as defeated people and not as dishonest people, but as honest people who recognize where we are. We're still in places that experience darkness, but it's morning darkness. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and help us as we receive them, God. Help us, God, to both acknowledge the darkness but also to move stubbornly against it, armed as we are with the light of dawn that we have in the resurrection of your son. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew to the left. I'm gonna ask you to come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts, a little piece of bread, a little bit of juice. As you approach the person with bread, That person will snap off a piece and press it into your cupped hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that little piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you're here to receive a prayer for healing. There's a padded altar here and one over here, and someone will meet you there with oil and anoint you with the oil, representative, the companionship of the Spirit. And we will pray those prayers for you, whether that be a physical need that you would have or emotional, mental, spiritual, relational. All kinds of prayers for healing are welcome there. And these other benches, are good spots for you to come and pray that prayer of anxiety, angst, acknowledging the darkness, even if today you can't seem to see the light of the morning. Those prayers are still welcome. God, why so dark? Why so dark? God, help me see. Help me see. All of these prayers are welcome around these benches and you'll notice that somebody at some point will come and put a hand on you because you don't pray that prayer alone. You are not alone. If you are confronted and intimidated by the darkness, you are not alone. (laughs) It's part of the reason we need one another. Also up here, there is this bowl of water meant to help you to remember your baptism, that moment when you were initiated into this people, this people with a calling And if you want to come up here and just dip your fingers into this water, the chill of the water, we hope, will jog your memory and you'll remember, oh yeah, God is still making good on that promise and is using me in the process. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie are headed to you. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying this is my body broken for you every time you eat this bread remember me later on he took the cup he held it up before them and he said and this is my blood the blood of a new covenant and every time you drink it remember me who is welcome at this table well all the same all that we talked about earlier all of you are welcome If you understand your need 
for this kind of grace, then no matter what you dragged in here with you today, you're welcome at this table. And this can be a good moment for you. And so now, all across the sanctuary, all who understand their need for this grace are invited to stand and exit their pew to the left and to come forward with their hands cupped to receive these gifts, gifts of God for the people of God. Father, we confess, and in these moments, confess that we are intimidated by the darkness. We feel the creep of cynicism. We see the devastation of darkness in all kinds of ways. And so right now, God, we, in brutal honesty, just acknowledge where we are experiencing, where we see, where we are confronted by the darkness. And church, I would encourage you now to pray that prayer as honestly as you know how. God, here is where I am challenged and confronted by the darkness. Father, while acknowledging the darkness, would you help us also to acknowledge that it is the dawn of a great day? Help us somehow, God, to put all of it into proper perspective, to understand that the darkness will not have the last word. It didn't in Isaiah 11, and it doesn't today. So help us to see, give us glimpses, moments when we can see that in fact the light is breaking through. We can see and acknowledge your presence as we have already acknowledged the darkness. And give us this courage and the stamina to live toward that day when faith will be sight. Give us a stubborn sense of hope a solid sense of perspective. Give us the capacity to love our enemies and our opposites. There you go. As we moved into some moments of prayers of intercession, we want to continue the theme of praying for light to break through into darkness. Before we bring a few names and situations that I know of, there's no doubt that you yourself have come into this place, either in your own personal life or in the life of someone close to you, where you know that darkness. And in these moments, whether that's a lost job, a broken relationship, someone you know and love who's battling cancer or is very sick and ill, whatever life situation you bring into this space, in prayers of intercession, would you just ask God to break through and bring restoration and healing and peace into the dark places in which you bring into this sanctuary this morning? Thank you, and you can continue praying that prayer as we whisper a few other prayers for God to bring light into difficult and trying situations. Lord, together as a congregation, we surround Jerry Bell and his whole family in the loss of beloved Marianne. Lord, thank you for Jerry's presence among us today, and God, we ask as a congregation 
that you would lift him and bring him light, bring him your presence. Lord, as I look back and see R.K. Adams, but not June, and Trudy Caprero, but not Lynn, Lord, as a congregation, we pray for June Adams, for Lynn Caprero. As Larry is down here praying with friends, and we don't see LaDonna here as she rests and recovers at home as a church, we pray for LaDonna Bennett. Marvin and Mary Sue aren't here this morning. We pray for Marvin Beard and a full recovery from this car accident that's taken him through two surgeries in ICU. Lord, we ask for all of these names mentioned and the many more that your presence, your light, and your healing would come in a very powerful way. Lord, in these moments, as the season of Advent, as we move towards Christmas, God, we pray for all who've experienced loss all who've experienced loneliness. We pray for those who will not have a family to gather around them this Christmas season. We pray for those who are incarcerated, who don't get to gather around a table or around a Christmas tree. Lord, we ask that you'd be with all of the forgotten in nursing homes, in prison systems, and in war-torn areas around the world. And God, as in these moments of intercession, we pray for peace, restoration, and comfort in the midst of the most difficult situations around the world. And God, we pray a big prayer, a wolves and lamb type prayer, for you, God, to come and to restore all of the broken places, using us to be your blessing to all people around the world. Lord, would you shape and form us after the very image of your Son who taught us one specific prayer. And God, would you shape us to be people who live into and believe this prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer, and if you're unfamiliar with that prayer, it's going to be on the screen in front of you. And here at OKC First, we oftentimes pray using debts and debtors. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.